We're going to Isaiah chapter 56, and we'll read the whole chapter. Thus saith the Lord, Keep ye judgment, and do justice. For my salvation is near to come, and my righteousness to be revealed. Blessed is the man that doeth this, and the son of man that layeth hold on it, that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it, and keepeth his hand from doing any evil. Neither let the son of the stranger that hath joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths, and choose the things that please me, and take hold of my covenant. Even unto them will I give in mine house and within my walls a place and a name better than of the sons, better than of sons and of daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also the sons of the stranger that join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants. Every one that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and taketh hold of my covenant, even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar, for mine house shall be called an house of prayer for all people. The Lord God, which gathereth the outcasts of Israel, saith, Yet will I gather others to him, beside those that are gathered unto him. All ye beasts of the field, come to devour, yea, all ye beasts in the forest. His watchmen are blind, they are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs, they cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yea, they are greedy dogs which can never have enough, and they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way, every one for his gain from his quarter. Come ye, say they, I will fetch wine, and we will fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow shall be as this day, and much more abundant. Amen. May the Lord bless to us this reading from his word. May we never fail to notice the bare fact that God speaks to sinners about salvation. May we never fail to notice the bare fact that God speaks to sinners about deliverance from sin. He does not do so to taunt us. He does so to inform us. He does so because he is telling us that there is salvation with the Lord. That there is such a possibility as salvation. 
that there is such a mercy in the divine mind as salvation with God and forgiveness for sinners like us. It is a wonderful truth. And let us pay attention particularly when God tells fallen creatures that his salvation is near as he does in these opening verses. We shall live but a few short years in this world. Our bodies will wear out and give up. But our souls go on to dwell everlastingly beyond the grave. And whether we dwell with Christ in heaven or with the damned in hell, depends on whether we obtain the salvation of which the Lord here speaks. And I hope that each person who hears my voice will inquire where you stand and ask the Lord for that salvation of which he speaks and without which our souls are rightly and justly fated to everlasting death. When we read and hear the Lord say, as he does here by the prophet Isaiah, my salvation is near to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Let us determine to seek that salvation. Let us determine to discover that righteousness, to search for the door that opens the way that leads to life. And may the Lord so burden our hearts that we do not rest until we find it. Last week, we read the verse in Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. May the Lord enable us to do so. Isaiah is writing, but it is Jehovah who is speaking. And Jehovah calls on us all. He calls on us all to be wise and to do right. Keep judgment, he says, and do justice. Keep judgment, be wise and do what is right. Wisdom in spiritual matters is not attained by trying to please God through our own works or our own efforts. Doing right is not accomplished by obedience to God's law. No matter how careful and meticulous we try to be. 
And God knows there have been people down through the history of the world who have tried, who have tried to be as perfect as possible. And every one has fallen short of the glory of God. It is an impossibility. It is an impossibility to keep judgment and do justice before God. But in this verse, these opening couple of verses of this chapter, Isaiah is pointing us to the coming Christ who was not far away. It was still several hundred years to come, but it was in the grand scheme of things not far at all. And he was telling the people of his age, the people of his day and those that came after, anticipate, anticipate Christ is coming. The Messiah is coming. He's telling his generation that the Messiah is on his way. The Son of Righteousness was rising with healing for sinners in his wings. And he was telling us all that God's righteousness, the only righteousness that justifies, is discoverable in Christ Jesus. For salvation is of the Lord. And this is the message of the Old Testament and the message of the New Testament. It is what Isaiah was telling his generation and it is what the apostles said in theirs. Peter in Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must saved. The Lord here is telling us that there is salvation near at hand. There is righteousness to be revealed. How is that near at hand? In the Messiah who is coming. How is righteousness to be revealed? In the Messiah that is coming. And this is the principle, this is the lesson by which we understand those things which are written for our uh, understanding for our help uh, and for our direction. Here are four things that I want to leave with us today. Four short points that I trust the Lord will use to bless our understanding of this chapter before us today. Chapter 56 of Isaiah. The first one is this. The blessedness of the man who is blessed in Christ. The blessedness of the man who is blessed in Christ. Number two, the blessedness of the union we have in Christ. Number three, the blessedness of the worship we enjoy in Christ. And finally, the blessedness of Christ's protective care. So, to take it from the top. Number one, the blessedness of the man who is blessed in Christ. This opening couple of verses speaks of blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. The, the opening of the chapter speaks of blessedness. Now, blessed is 
the Bible word for happy or joyful or peaceful. It has different meanings depending on who is blessing whom. If we are blessing God, it means to honour or to worship or to revere God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. It's a form of worship to God. When God blesses us, it signifies God bestowing his loving kindness, his grace and his favour upon us. Now that may be temporal, it may be spiritual, it may be eternal happiness that he is giving to us. But when he blesses us, it is his loving kindness and his goodness towards us. And when one person blesses another person, it means wishing God's good upon that person. The blessedness that is spoken of here in the beginning of this chapter is from God to man. And it is a reference to God's loving kindness and his goodness and his favour upon the man who keeps judgment and does justice. That is, the man who always does what is right and proper in the sight of God, who keeps himself from polluting the Sabbath, which means perfectly keeping the whole of the law because the Sabbath keeping is put for all the commandments and not even just the Ten Commandments, but all the commandments that, that, that God has given. It's a reference principally to the comprehensiveness of true worship. And finally, not only does he keep himself doing everything that is right and not polluting the Sabbath, but he keeps his hand from doing any evil. Such a man, says the Lord, is blessed. Now I think you'll agree with me that that's a pretty high bar. And I don't think that anyone here today will claim to always do what is right and proper in God's sight to always keep the whole law perfectly and never do anything evil. Furthermore, I doubt that any of God's Old Testament remnant people would claim that either. And yet this is what is required to be blessed by God and to gain God's love and his favour. A superficial reading of these opening verses would be very depressing. But here again, we see the Lord Jesus Christ foreshadowed in Isaiah's prophecy. Because Isaiah is not pointing men and women to the law as a, as a, a, a yoke, as a, as a heavy burden to to crush them and, 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 and to leave them feeling hopeless and lost. 
These Old Testament believers were not being told to go and look to their own works, but they are being pointed forward to the one who is near at hand, to the righteousness that is coming. They're being pointed forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who is the blessed man. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who is the Son of Man that is referred to here in these opening verses. It is the Lord Jesus Christ of whom Jehovah speaks when he says, My salvation is near to come and my righteousness to be revealed. Because God's salvation is a man. God's righteousness is a man. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord our righteousness. The Lord is our salvation. And all blessedness and every blessing is in Christ. If we have Christ, we have all God's blessings. If we don't have Christ, then nothing in this world is truly blessed to us. And nothing in eternity will be blessed to us. David, the psalmist David, King David, the David that we've been speaking about already. David said, men shall be blessed in him. Psalm 72 verse 17. Men and women shall be blessed in him. We are blessed in Christ. So that far from being depressing... Do you see how comforting these words of Isaiah were for Isaiah's age? Do you see how they were being directed to look not to their own works of obedience and Sabbath keeping, but to Christ the Messiah, in whom all the blessedness of God is found? It is by faith, by trusting in Christ, that the blessedness of God's love and grace and kindness and care are enjoyed and experienced. God's people are blessed in Christ. In Christ we have every blessing. Outside of Christ we have nothing. The world's goods, the world's offerings, attractive as they are made to appear, are a mere vanity if we don't have Christ. But if we have Christ, we have everything. So this is my first point. The blessedness of the man who is blessed in Christ. Second thing I want us to realize from this chapter is the blessedness of the union that we have in Christ because the lovely thing about the gospel the lovely thing about the the the, the way of grace is that the the Lord has made us into a body the Lord has made us into a church a people yes we come to the Lord individually yes we come as a man or a woman or a boy or a girl, to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one can have faith on our behalf. But when we come, we come to a great congregation. We come to the union of the body of Christ. 
And there is a blessedness of union taught and expressed in these verses as well. These Old Testament saints were Jews who understood their relationship with God in terms of the Old Testament dispensation. Now, dispensation, I I use that word and I I realise I used it last week and I ought to explain it. A dispensation is just a period of time. Uh, There are those who, who call themselves dispensationalists and they break up the scriptures into lots of different ways and times of looking at things. That's not what I mean when I use the word dispensation. A dispensation is just a period of time. So there was the Old Testament dispensation and the New Testament dispensation. But these Jews understood the gospel in the dispensation in which they lived. They understood it in terms of the altar and the sacrifices, the temple and the priesthood, the washings and the rituals of the Old Testament law. By faith, the same faith that we've got, they used all these types and symbols to trace the person and the work of the Messiah in God's plan of salvation. But now the Lord would have them know through this uh, uh, prophecy from Isaiah. Now the Lord would have them know that not only will these shadowy practices be replaced by the coming Lord Jesus. So too the eligibility for the family of God would be greatly expanded in the gospel age. And this is the reference to the eunuchs and to the sons of the strangers. Previously, Gentiles were excluded from the congregation of the Lord. Previously, eunuchs were barred from serving or worshipping in the temple. Now, however, in the gospel age that is being looked forward to by Isaiah when he writes the Lord's words that my salvation is near to come, my righteousness to be revealed, Isaiah is telling the the people of his age that in the gospel age the sons of strangers and eunuchs of the Gentiles of all the nations to the ends of the earth would be welcomed and accepted into the family of God. For which, brothers and sisters, you and I should be very grateful and very pleased. For he is talking about us. We are the sons of the strangers. We are the eunuchs. We are the corrupted, the broken, the hurt, the shamed. And it is us that he is speaking about. And he is telling these Old Testament people that from all nations to the ends of the earth there would be a welcome granted of acceptance into the family of God by faith in Jesus Christ. So that Paul, writing to the Ephesians, again to non-Jews, to Gentile people as part of his ministry to the Gentiles, He writes in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, 
in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one. There's that union. Who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. Somewhere else he tells the Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And this is a blessed principle. This isn't just a New Testament principle. Isaiah understood this and he wrote of it to those to whom his prophecy went all those centuries before the coming of Christ. It's a blessed principle. We have union with God and with every believer by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are united in the Lord Jesus Christ. You and me, right here, right now. If we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are united to Christ and we are united to each other. We are all accepted, equal in Christ. And no one is more or less loved or more or less blessed, or worth more than another. We are all one in Christ Jesus. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We share equally in the common salvation and in the common wealth of grace and in the blessings of heaven. And you who are young, and maybe don't think you matter too much. Or you who are old. And maybe don't think you matter too much. And you who are worn out and tired. And don't think you can do very much. You are no less precious to your saviour. Than your brothers and sisters. And nor will you be more or less rewarded in glory. For we all shall have Christ. And Christ is everything. We shall, in union with Christ, have an everlasting name. We shall have everlasting honour. We shall have everlasting love and goodness from our Father's hand and our name. Our name shall endure as long as does our Saviour's. Psalm 72 verse 17 says, His name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun, and men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. And I suspect this everlasting name that the Lord here promises to the Gentiles, I suspect that this everlasting name is connected with the new name written on the white stone that is given to those in Revelation, to those who overcome. A name identifies an individual and a family. And often, as we've been saying in the Bible, it describes a feature of the person who bears it. 
and this name will endure as long as Christ's name endures. And it identifies those who have faith as members of his family and joined to him with their brothers and sisters. So here is another thing that Isaiah was able to teach the people of his age and to teach us all. The blessedness of the union that we have together in Christ. The third thing that I want to mention to you is the blessedness of the worship that we enjoy in Christ. The Lord says in this chapter, he says, He will gather the outcasts of Israel, by which we understand the elect among the Jews, the remnant people amongst the Jews. He will gather the outcasts of Israel together with others who will be gathered. Let me just let me just make a little aside here for a moment as well, because I, I I I don't like to pass these opportunities by when they present themselves as they do with this verse here that 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 we 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 have. Um, verse eight it is: The Lord God which gathereth the outcasts of Israel saith, Yet will I gather others to him beside those that are gathered unto him. Now this is a promise. The Lord God is telling Isaiah by the Holy Spirit, who is telling the people of his own age in this prophecy, I will gather the outcasts of Israel and I will gather others also beside them that are gathered unto him. Now, this is just incidental. But it reconfirms the folly of free will teaching. Isaiah tells us that God says, Yet will I gather others to him beside those that are gathered unto him. How could the Lord give Isaiah this prophecy if coming to Christ is man's choice and not God's choice? How could God say that he was going to bring others if that was totally up to the individual to choose whether he would come or not. How could God know that? How could God say that? But the Lord does not say, I will try to gather others. I will endeavour. I will do my best. I will try to convince to the best that I can. He says, I will. I will and he shall. But back to the blessed worship, because that's really what I'm trying to, 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 to speak about here. The Lord promises joy. He promises joy to his people in worship. He says, in my house of prayer, there shall be joy and there will be acceptance of burnt offerings and sacrifices upon mine altar. Now, once again, we're not talking here that the church is going to continue the practice of the Old Testament types. But the altar, as we are told in the book of Hebrews, is Christ. We have an altar. Christ is our altar. And these offerings and sacrifices are spiritual sacrifices that are offered by faith as we look to the sufficiency of the Saviour's sacrifice for our 
peace with God. We don't have a, a, a physical altar anymore and we don't bring animals anymore and we don't slay them on the altar because by faith we look to Christ who was the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, who was our kinsman redeemer. Isaiah explains that reconciliation of the New Testament Gentiles, he explains it by a picture that his Old Testament Jewish readers could understand in the context of the altar and the sacrifice. Their joy would not be in slain animals, but their joy would be in Christ's blood to take away their sin and bring peace with God. Because richer blood has flowed from nobler veins to purge the soul from guilt and cleanse the reddest stains. Christian worship is founded upon thanksgiving for what Christ has done. Christian worship is the joy that the Lord gives in understanding the position that we have as the redeemed of the Lord, of what it means to be brought into his family, of adopted into his family, and to be given his grace and mercy. Our worship is gratitude. The finished work of our salvation. There's nothing left outstanding. There's nothing left undone. We have joy because we view in Christ a a successful saviour. We view an accomplished, a completed salvation. What joy could there be in almost saved what, what joy could there be in almost saved? Uh, he, he was almost saved from drowning. He, he was almost saved from the fire. He was almost saved from hell. What, what joy is there in almost saved? What rest is there in a work not quite finished? What confidence can there be in nearly there? But to fall short. But the Lord says he will bring his redeemed people to worship in his house, to gather to Christ in the temple of the building of his people. Christ's church isn't a place, it's a people called by grace and gathered by the Holy Spirit under the preaching of the gospel. And here's my fourth point and with this we're done. There is a blessedness of Christ's protective care. And I want to just uh, put a little bit of a disclaimer here because you might well wonder and you might question that I describe the final few verses of this chapter as in any way a blessing when actually they are quite awful And they are fearful. But here's why we find a blessing even in these awful, fearful verses. God's elect will be converted and brought into the church. 
God has already promised that that will be the case. And those first three points that we've spoken about, about the, the, the blessedness that we have uh, in Christ, the blessed that, blessedness that we have in union, and the blessedness uh, that, that, that we have in the worship that we will share, these are our realities. God is bringing his people through the preaching of the gospel into the church and he is converting his people, Jews and Gentiles, and uniting us together in Christ. That is God's work and it is happening all the time. He promised it. Isaiah prophesied it. It was the experience of the apostles. They saw it happening. 3,000 in the day of Pentecost, the, the Apostle Paul's missionary journeys witnessed the gathering of the Lord's church and it has continued apace ever since and it continues yet to this day. And yet in time, Isaiah tells his readers, false professors will infiltrate the communities of the Lord's people like Tears amongst the wheat, to use the Lord's analogy. False teachers that will rise up. Jude calls it ungodly men who creep in unawares. And Isaiah saw this happening too and he wrote about it. So that the church of God will be attacked from within and without. Isaiah speaks of blind watchmen. And he describes them as dumb and greedy, lazy dogs. These, these watchmen are a long way from Zion's true watchmen, who are faithful gospel preachers caring for the Lord's people. These watchmen, these dumb dogs, were dumb concerning true religion, true doctrine. They did not preach Christ. They do not preach Christ. They were lazy with regards to the spiritual well-being of the saints. They call the beasts of the field and the forest to spoil and corrupt God's flock by bringing the world into the church of Jesus Christ. And that is what we see going on around about us today. And it's not just today. It's always been the case and it always will be because those tears will be amongst the wheat and we will not be able to distinguish them. But the Lord knows. The Lord knows them that are his. Isaiah achieved two things by telling us this. He showed his own age how the church would always be troubled, always beset with trouble. That's just the reality. We speak about the church as the body of Christ. We speak about the church as a holy nation. We speak about the church as a great congregation. But in this world, the church militant, the outward manifestation of the body of Christ will always be beset with trouble because there will always be infiltrators. There will always be fifth columnists. There will always be those who come in amongst us and try to harm the Lord's people. It's the work of Satan amongst the people of God. No generation 
will have an easy passage in this world. And Isaiah warned his own people, his own age. He told, he informed his own age about this. But he also warned believers then and now to be wary and alert against any who deny the Lord and corrupt his gospel and harm his people. The apostles had to contend with troublemakers in their own age, whether it was Peter or Paul or John or Jude. They all wrote and spoke against these troublemakers. We're pleased they did because we have their epistles and they continue the warning that Isaiah began in his prophecy. And we too shall find these troublemakers amongst us. The foregoing promises that we've read about, the first three points that I left with you today, these promises, the promises of this passage, they shall not be jeopardised by these final verses. All who are in Christ shall be blessed in him with all temporal, spiritual and eternal blessings as we have need. And all who are united to Christ shall be preserved and protected and given an everlasting name. And all who worship him will do so with joy and peace and spiritual prosperity even when the road we travel is beset with beasts and greedy dogs, because the Lord will help us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen.